0: Hello students and welcome back to the Lore of the Iron Kingdoms with me, Professor Caster. Today we are going to be discussing the Trollbloods, the Trollcan faction or the many tribes of Trollcan that have united under one banner or a few banners that all work together in semi-harmony or not, really depends on how they like to do it, just because they are a more warrior race than any others. Also, weirdly enough, for about 10 years, I didn't realize that one of the major differences between a trollkin and an ogren is trollkins do not have noses. You would think that was obvious, but when I only see them in passing, it's something I never really noticed until more recently. Aside from that, thank you guys so much for listening. And if you do enjoy listening to these, please like, subscribe, comment. Let me know how you like it. Let me know if there's any changes or anything you'd like to hear about. And thank you again, Privateer Press, for letting us read this fantastic lore. And as we did for the Protectorate of Minoth, we will be reading the older lore. And then we'll be making any updates to the lore once we find it in the newer books after we finish the old stuff. So let's begin war bands of the troll bloods the strength and the resilience of the united creels the Trollbloods are a powerful but disordered alliance of several troll species united by a common cause the majority of its warriors and leaders arise from the civilized trochan but they are joined by the adaptable smaller pygmy trolls and the powerful larger full-blood trolls at the apex of which are the Dire Trolls, a species with unmatched ferocity, regenerative powers, and voracious appetites. Bolstered by the formidable creatures, Trollcan warriors represent and defend a beleaguered people of ancient customs and sophisticated culture, who have been persecuted to the limits of their tolerance. They fight for their land, the lives of their families, and for their very survival. Betrayed by the former allies and surrounded by both hostile kingdoms that wage war across their territories and invading armies bent on enslavement, the tribal creels of the Trollcan have risen to the occasion with acts of exceptional valor. Rather than being a single nation, the Trollbloods comprise hundreds of disparate creels, each fighting their own battles and only slowly becoming more unified in order to safeguard their kind. Ties of blood and brotherhood connect the creels, but no overarching hierarchy is responsible for all Trolkin. a loose collection of elders lead each sizable community which recent events have brought them to closer contact but these bodies of contentious and generally focused on their own affairs despite this a few great chiefs have emerged as true heroes working to bring more of the scattered creels into their ranks as they seek to unite their people without such unity these leaders fear the trollbloods may face extinction. The trollkin are a stolid and traditional race, however, and many oppose the idea of change, preferring instead to pursue victory creel by creel as the trollkins have done for generations. And looks like we have a side note here: kith, creels, and kin. Three concepts run through all trollkin culture: kith, creel, and kin. Though they can be confusing to outsiders, these core principles are relatively simple: kith refers to all those Trolkan related to a single ancestor by blood ties or marriage, no matter how distant. In practice, this usually refers to an extended blood family, much like those of other races. Ties of blood are vitally important to all aspects of Trolkan and broader Troll culture. The concept of kith is somewhat complicated by the fact that many Trolkan include their kith, those with whom they have shared the rite of Colgate, or Colgat, I'm not entirely sure how they pronounce it. This, this solemn and mystical ceremony involves the sharing of blood and an oath that causes a change in the blood of the participants who are thereafter recognized by other troken as members of their adoptive bloodline. Most honor this status, but sometimes it becomes divisive, particularly when participants are not trolkien themselves. Although the honor... Is very rarely bestowed on non Trollkin. Several notable individuals have taken the Colgate Oath, including King Leto, Rathorn, and Professor Victor Pendrake, which actually makes sense for both those guys since both those guys actually want to have. Relatively strong ties with the Trocans anyway. And even in the Signarn ranks, because oh, King Leto is the king of Signarn. In the Signarn ranks, you will see Trocans working alongside like trencher units and things like that. And then, of course, Professor Pendrake is a professor who studies um, extra zoological cultures. So that includes the troken themselves. And he keeps close ties with most races that don't kill him on sight. So yay, Pendrake. But back to the reading. Creel refers to all the kith who dwell within specific geographical regions, most often a single trollkin village or its outlying communities. Traditionally, larger creels have encompassed several villages, and dozens or even hundreds of kiths can claim membership of a single creel. Just as which kiths, a blood ties of Colgate, can cross creels, some might appear to outsiders to be hopelessly entangled webs of family and loyalty and then the term then the term kin is more recent concept applied to entirety of the trokin as a related related people as kiths and creels have been fractured by the strife of war and displacement many trokin have begun to think of themselves as belonging to a broader connected community beyond the bonds of kith and creel any trokin can look to another and know that they share a common struggle and triumphs of kin the trend is increased as Elders, fell callers and Shamans, and other representatives from different communities have begun to communicate more regularly. So, kin means everybody's connected, kith means you're connected by blood, so family bonds, or kolgat, somebody sharing blood, and then creel represents a connection to a community in its outlying area. So that makes sense, I guess. Let's continue reading chief and council. By all accounts of myth and lore, the Trolkans are one of the oldest races on Cain and have weathered adversity and warfare for millennia beyond counting. Within more recent recorded history, they were part of a barbaric horde known as the Mulgar, and many of their traditions stem from that era. In the ancient times, the Trolkans fought alongside full-blood trolls, tribal humans, goblins, and ogrens. Even... Though they were part of the Mogur, every Trollcan held a bond of Kith and Creel above all others. These extended families arose from simple tribal origins and formed bands of warriors to protect villages and join together to war against their enemies. When the Mennite priest-kings of old broke the power of the Mogur, the Trollcan people were dispersed and Kiths and Creels scattered across the dark wilds of the western Amoran. Separated by the greater community, the Creels retained only those traditions and stories inscribed on their Creel stones, and many ancient ways were lost. Full-blooded trolls fared even worse than their smaller, more civilized brethren, the humans that were already expanding into the wild reaches of Western morn often hunted down those full-blooded trolls unable or unwilling to live alongside the scattered Trollkin settlements. For generations, the connection between Trollkin and Troll was tenuous, explored only by a few shamans. The Minnites set upon the hulking dire trolls with singular ruthlessness, and only most feral members of the species who kept to the deep wilderness survived. Though that the Trollkin culture endured through this time is a testament to their stoicism, solidarity, and tremendous resilience. And then we have a side note going over the very loose command structure of the Trollblood. So I will have it up here on the YouTube channel so you guys can take a gander at it. Uh, You can pause the video if you want to go over it. But here are some of the leaders of note. The Creels of Thornwood, um, who were the exile from Thornwood Signar. The Creels of the Gnarls. Uh, The committed isolated Creels. The Creels of Scarsfell. And then the uncommitted isolated creels of other various elders, and then all of their things that they do. um, Yeah, there's a lot of variations in Trollkin society, so yeah, you're going to have to read that on your own because I am not going into every single one of those at this point, but let's continue reading. Most creels settled in the most habitable places they could find. Often deep within Great Forest, the Thornwood, the Narls, and the Scarsfell Forest became home to the largest population of Trollkin. It is these regions that many modern Trollkin still think of as their ancestral homeland. Connections with full-blooded Trolls were retained in these forests, as some of the larger Bloodkin were integrated into the villages to assist with burdensome task and aid in defense. Other Creels were pushed to the most remote boundaries, making their homes along the edge of the bloodstone marches or on the shrouded, scarred isles. This basic routine of life in the Creels has been sustained into present. A small but notable number of Trolkans left the wilds entirely and settled in human-dominated cities and communities becoming part of the kingdoms and putting aside that of their traditions. Only a few human cities in the modern era support Trolkin communities large enough to retain identities as Creels. The Creoles are typical, typically led by a number of key individuals drawn from those vital to the community. Foremost among these are chieftains and small council of elders who deliberate among themselves on all matters of importance to the Kits and their creoles. They determine how to pool resources, construct housing, and keep villages secure, as well as making trade decisions with other communities. The most powerful shamans of the Creels usually occupy significant positions on the Council of Elders, as do senior chroniclers, sorcerers, fell callers, and experts in important trades like stonemasonry, agriculture, brewing, and hunting. The chiefs and elders typically serve as a final arbiters for most decisions affecting their Creel most creels allow for contentious disputes to be decided in trials by combat which take place atop a large elevated stone platform at the village center these fights can be brutal but rarely result in fatalities the chief of the creels arbitrates these trials and may decide to stand personally for one side or the other if there is a disparity in martial skill between participants in creels with particular imposing chiefs it is rare for disputes to enter the arena for this reason which has led to a general belief that possessing a strong chief promotes a peaceful creole life chiefs are usually Powerful warriors entrusted with overseeing a Creel's defenses and making wartime decisions. In some rare cases, a particularly formidable shaman, sorcerer, or caller, might rise to this position. Chiefs are most often male as a matter of tradition, but not always. The transition from one chief to another varies from Creel to Creel, but it is not uncommon for the position to be passed to the eldest son if he is battle-ready. Such heirs uh, such often spend their lives... Preparing for the possibility, endeavoring to prove themselves worthy of the honor and responsibility. If the Creel includes a better candidate, such as a notable veteran hero, the chief might select him instead of passing the responsibility on to his offspring. When a chief dies without leaving instructions, as can happen in battle, the elders are entrusted to select a new chief from among the Creel champions. Chiefs do not directly lead their creels except in times of exceptional danger, deferring the council of elders on other matters. Councils recognize a body of leaders is not as effective as an individual at making immediate decisions required in times of war. Under such circumstances, a chief has nearly complete authority over his creel, isolated kits that lack sufficient membership to host a fully represented council, might be ruled by a single shaman or chief the roles are sometimes one and the same for these remote communities even in such instances usually several community elders will be called upon to provide guidance in addition it is often a tight-knit band of champions trolkien chiefs are also supported by larger groups of warriors who have sworn themselves to serve their leader Known as warbands, these Trolkans are utterly loyal to their chief and are typically either closely related kits or from the same Creel. And most prestigious chiefs might lead warbands made up of warriors from many Creels. And it is not unheard of for some Trolkans to travel great distances to enlist the warband of chiefs about whom they have heard great tales. A chieftain who commands a large number of warriors will often divide his followers into multiple bands, each led by a highly trusted champion. Though rare in the past, the need for such arrangements has grown along with the scale and scope of battles in the recent years. In the centuries after the defeat of the Mogler, more Trollkin communities restored their connection with the full-blooded Trolls. Association with the voracious creatures caused much strife between trollkin communities and neighboring human villages. But the trollkins were often willing to suffer such inconveniences for raw strength their troll allies brought them. The destructive power of a single troll is substantial, and with only minor training, the voracious—oh, sorry—the ferocious creatures can become powerful guardians fighting on behalf of Creel. The rare warlock who holds the mystical connection with full-blooded trolls invariably ascend to leadership roles in their creels most of the individuals become chiefs simply by virtue of the enormous wartime power they exert over the trolls that follow them into battle the trolls of the warlock chiefs are typically typically considered full members of the warband most trollkin communities remained insular until relatively recently though visitors from other creels were welcomed they rarely engaged in concerted activities or made long-term alliances. But as Creoles have been displaced and their homelands overrun by enemies, greater concentrations of Trolkans have been forced to live in close proximity than ever before. In these regions, elders from numerous kits meet to discuss matters affecting all of the represented Creoles. These regional councils have arisen only in the Thornwood, the Narls, and Scarsfell, where trokan populations are sufficiently dense. Because this present present hardship increasingly connected all the Trolkans, stories of the difficulties affecting those farther away now sometimes prompt coordinated action. Not all Trolkins are comfortable with this. Many prefer to focus solely on local matters. Strife between Creels is not uncommon, particularly between former rivals with ancestral grudges dating back generations." Madrak Ironhide and the United Creels. Of the many factors that have led to recent efforts to unite the Creels, none has been more vitally catalyst than the rising prominence in the legend of Madrak Ironhide. Even his detractors, Laud Ironhide, as among the greatest of all Trolkan chiefs, putting him in the company of Horfor Grimmer and Gindor of Talak Creel. Madrak Ironhide has worked tirelessly to promote cooperation and peace among Creoles from across Western Amoran. Under the Ironhide's leadership, the thousands of Trolchan have begun to consider themselves a nation. Though the term United Creels has not been formally adopted, it is increasingly used to identify allies to his cause. As intrinsic to Madrak's legend as his own deeds are to the troubles of his dispossessed people, who remain strong, determined, and battle-ready despite being driven from the Thornwood by the wars of mankind and perpetually beset by difficulties. These people have become iconic of the blo- Trollblood spirit and the vital core of the United Creels. This group has gained at least nominal support from the regional councils of elders in both the Thornwood and the Narls, as well as from any of the scattered Creels. In times, they might attract more, and certainly it is Ironhide's hope to draw all Troken to the cause of mutual preservation. The Skarsfell elders... Have thus far retained, I'm sorry, refrained from por- formally joining the alliance, as have elders from many other creels far from human wars. But even in this distant region, individual champions and warriors, and sometimes entire war bands, have left their home to join Madrak Ironhide. Many powerful chieftains, shamans, and elders support Ironhide's efforts, but the tribal and fractious nature of the creels make gaining a majority consensus difficult. Most of the warbands and leaders that follow Ironhide do not owe him any formal allegiances or consider themselves his vassals. Rather, they see themselves as allies and peers. Borka Kegslayer, for example, has led a small army of Trolchan warriors from the Skarsfeld to join the United Creels, but they are motivated more by the opportunity to wage war on the humans of the south rather than by the cause of nation building. One of the most Significant initial steps to establishing this larger alliance was the oath of fellowship sworn between Madrak Ironhide and Harlock Doomshaper, the dominant military leader among the fractious creels of the Narls. The cancancerous elder shaman has gathered vast support among the more warlike elements of his people. The bond between Doomshaper and Ironhide was forged... After Maddrak was betrayed by the druids of the Circle Oberos, who sought to assassinate and replace him. Doomshaper was vital in thwarting that plot. And the Creels have Thornwood, and the Narls have since grown increasingly connected and mutually reliant. And then we have a little side note. Troken Quitari. Uh, mostly they're, well, symbols, since these guys like plaid a lot. But I'll be posting the pictures so you can see all the different designs. Because um, we have the design for the people that follow Chieftain Madrak, uh, Gomfar Creel, Grizzle Bloodsong, Calandra Thruitsayer, Harlock Doomshaper, and Jortel Creel. The Kotari are a traditional tartan pattern worn by Trollkin that represent the wearer's home Creel. Each Creole has a specific Qatari pattern and color, easily recognizable to those who belong to or have had significant contact with someone of that Creole. As Trolkan refugees from across Western Amor join the United Creoles, the patterns they wear enable them to stand out among the crowds to former neighbors and friends. Since the rise of Madrak Ironhide, it is becoming increasingly common for Trolkan warriors to adopt the Qatari pattern of the leader he follows. This practice is especially widespread among Trolkans of the Thornwood Forest and other traditional homelands from Creel have be- largely been wiped out by the wars. Those who frequently fight together might feel compelled to put aside old traditional patterns to identify more strongly with their new brothers-in-arms. So, yes... And these guys are actually a pretty fun to be able to design an entire army based on these designs, if you're good at painting these. But let's continue reading. Though he agrees with Ironhide on certain fundamental ideas, Doomchaper is still a Trollkin traditionalist, uncomfortable with the changes wrought by present calamities. Nonetheless, the Eldar Shaman is willing to pay any price to ensure the survival of his people. It was he who brought the terrifying dire trolls back under the sway of the Trollcan. His connection with the full blood trolls is strong, and he admires both their simplicity and their savagery. Doomshaper is committed to helping Ironhide in the war he believes will eventually envelop the troll bloods, but he and his warbands also seek vengeance on those who wrong them. Ironhide seems to retain some hope that the lasting peace with mankind is possible while Doomshaper believes that warfare and violence can only be meaningful communication between their two species. Despite the lack of complete harmony among the various groups of the Trochen, the the unity of the Creels grows stronger each day. Few elders have the time to debate the broader implications of the Trollblood Nation in this time of war. However, an increasingly greater number of Trolkan venture from their ancestral homes to seek the aid and protection of the uni- unified Creoles. The Interpol Council that governs the United Creoles has necessarily become responsible for sheltering and governing ever-growing numbers of refugees. The Creoles at War, though the Trolkan do not fight as a single army with a strict formal hierarchy and chain of command, they are nonetheless formidable opponents the equal to any who oppose them indeed due to the tremendous resilience of the and accelerated healing demonstrated by the various trollblood species they can frequently outlast or outbattle more organized and numerous enemies these proud descendants of generations of warriors are armed with wealth of war exper- expertise. Unlike many other races on King, every adult Trokan is a prospective warrior. Every adult, male or female, has some proficiency in combat, and only those few old or young to wield a weapon are defenseless. The Trokan are a pragmatic and proud people willing to lay down their lives in the defense of their families and friends. The pressure of their many enemies have caused the Creoles to adapt their forces out of necessity, but this is not the first time in a in their long history that they have been organized in larger numbers. Only 400 years ago, the Kingdom of Signar attacked their homes, and it and in response, the to Trokans toppled the mighty Colossals that were the pride of the human nations. Their brutal skills at guerrilla warfare was enough then to overcome the significant technology disparity, but now surrounded by enemies, the scattered Creel tribes have had to adopt new tactics and weapons. The Warband Frontline Warriors. Most Creels can muster some number of warriors in their own defense, even if their community is typically peaceful. Even the most amicable farmers can be counted upon to take up the hammer or axe to protect their kith and Creel. Those Trollkins belonging to the more warlike Creels, often consider combat as a great sport and the ender creel fighting is a regular part of life for the most part feuds between rival creels are resolved after a handful of skirmishes and with few serious casualties fortunately for the Trollkin, their natural resilience allows them to take a somewhat casual approach to this kind of tribal combat injuries that would permanently maim humans uh, can only inc- temporarily inconvenience a Trolkin. This kind of competition is more common in the northern Scarfell than in the Gnarl's or Thornwood communities. Those Trolkans who come south to fight alongside their chief, Borka Kegslayer, sometimes find their combative attitudes met with hostility by members of the beleaguered creels of the Thornwood neighboring regions. Trolkans emphasize a brutal close combat fighting that has served them well, as it plays to to their incredible strength and endurance that, that is their birthright. Many specific martial traditions were born from the cultures of specific regional creoles, such as the fin blades of the fin marshes or the long riders of the South Kadorn plains. Since the escalation of threats across the region, and particularly those brought by modern human armies, war chiefs like Madrak, Ironhide, have seen a necessary to embracing the modern weapons of their enemies. In the past, it was not uncommon for Signar or to sell surplus weaponry to the keels with whom to the Creoles with whom they had friendly relations. The Signaran crown has typically looked upon the Trokans who live within its borders as nominal citizens. Signar's motivation in selling arms to the Creoles, however, was not entirely altruistic. The Signaran army saw value in having an armed population that could act as a buffer against the other enemies, including Kodor, the Protectorate, and more recently, the Scorn Empire. Signar has suspended the sale of military weapons and hardware to the Trolkan in light of expanding hostilities between northern Signar and citizens and the Kin brought together by Ironhide and Doomshaper. This has not deterred the Trokan from seeking other avenues to acquire arms. Indeed, they have found interested brokers from any number of black markets across the Iron Kingdoms. A number of Trolkans have served in human armies, particularly those raised in human cities, and some have brought much-needed military experience to the wilderness Creels. Though their methods might be at odds with more traditional Trolkin's approach to warfare, the tactics of the modern battlefield have been a great boon to the United Creels. Even the most hardened veteran Trolkin champions can benefit from the kind of training a professional soldier could expect in more hierarchical hierarchical militaries. Though warbands excel in guerrilla warfare and smaller raids, they often lack the discipline required to maintain order in the larger numbers needed to win massive or protracted engagements. The warbands of the United Creoles attempt to maintain some degree of organization, but they are sometimes undermined by the actions of proud chieftains who prefer to strike at time and place of their own choosing rather than follow the plans of another no matter how carefully considered. Despite the ongoing frustrations of the Trokan veterans who have served with one of the militaries of the Iron Kingdoms, their efforts to discipline and the forces of the United Creoles are gradually paying off. Many younger Trolkans readily embrace modern weaponry and view its use as a natural extension of the Trokan's adaptability. With training and drilling in the use of such weapons, many of the Trolkans become brilliant examples of professional soldiery though race's inherent strength and courage make them some of the most stalwart and courageous fighters to be found anywhere in western Amoran. Fighting alongside armed and armored full-blood trolls and the slavering dire trolls, these modernized trollkin warriors might prove to be the salvation of the Trollbloods. One significant ongoing source of potential soldier has come from the unmaned but mature trollkin called Shin, whose violent inclinations and lack of productive role might become the burden of their communities if not handled appropriately. Traditionally encouraged to leave their kits in order to find mates, Shin often band together as Trollshins, groups of 5 to 20 males of various ages. The Trollshin also arise among refugee Trollkins from decimated Creels, banding together for mutual protection in the wilderness. It is not uncommon for these roving bands to turn to banditry or mercenary work, since most Shins have yet to embrace a particular tradition. They are excellent candidates for military training. Even their sometimes reckless approach to combat can be an asset in a rapidly modernizing Creole army with the proper guiding hand. Pygmy trolls, or pigs, have long existed in the periphery of Trollcan society. These smaller Trollcan... Cousins were long thought useless in battle, given their capricious attitude and lack of interest in crafting weapons. But recent pressures of war have prompted the Trolkin to re-evaluate their opinions. It has become clear that the Pigs are just as resolute in combat as their larger kin and can be deadly fighters if given weaponry and training suited for their strengths and disposition. They have a lower tolerance for discipline and repeated drills than Trolkins, but these deficiencies can work to be worked around. For reasons not entirely understood, dire trolls are naturally inclined to tolerate pigs. The troll can exploit this natural sympathy by pairing the two and aiming them with ever more dangerous weaponry, or arming them with ever more dangerous weaponry. The pigs readily take to use of firearms, and with their natural predilection for thrill-seeking, they make up a, a substantial portion of the most modern combatants in the trollkin warbands. Warband support elements. Not all those who fight for the Creels are warriors in the traditional sense. Shamans are increasingly taking up arms in defense of their people. These mystical command tremendous dunya spiritual powers. And the presence of just one shaman can turn the tide of battle for a hard-pressed warband. Many of these individuals focused on support roles to become advisors or spiritual centers of their communities. But others lend their power and strength to, at arms to the warbands on the march. The shamans present greatly inspires Trokans who view him as a sign of their goddess, Dunia. Has not abandoned their struggle. Many shamans are powerful warriors in their own right, with Borka Kegslayer being one of the most famous examples. And we have a side note here, looks like it is the Bloodsong's Irregulars, the primary war band of Grizzle Bloodsong. And we have his flag and his entire army makeup and a little a side note on that army. The Fell Collars and Warlock Grizzle Bloodsong is one of the most respected leaders among the United Creels. Her role in the, their military has become increasingly important in recent months as Madrak Ironhide has wrestled with the curse of Rathrock. Many view her as his foremost general and obey her as if her commands came from Ironhide himself. Ironhide has entrusted her to lead more warbands than any other chief among the united creels but she still relies on a solid core of veterans alongside with whom she has personally fought bloodsong's irregulars as she has come to call them have earned deep respect among the trolcans who currently make their homes in the Gnarls. While many of the other warbands are recovering from recent battles, the irregulars have spent recent days patrolling the edges of the forest and guarding the creels of other regions. It is the Blood Song's hope that the victories of her re- irregulars have achieved will inspire other Trochans to embrace the tactics she knows are vital to the success of the United Creels. Though the war band under her leadership includes warriors of many desperate traditions, the equal value she places on more modern types of warfare is evident in both the composition and the training of the troops she commands. She expects her warriors to drill on daily basis, rain or shine. Some who come to join her are displeased with that they are see it as a limitation of their freedoms, but she makes no exceptions. The sight of Blood Song champions practicing maneuvers alongside pigs causes some other creoles to laugh but their effectiveness in battle speaks for itself. Bloodsong's emphasis on modern tactics and weaponry extends even to the dire trolls in her battle group. Like many Trollkin, she was somewhat hesitant when Doomshaper first brought the dire trolls back into the war bands of the Creels, but she warmed to them after the implementation of the Blitzer. She was the first war leader to prove the effectiveness of these unlikely beast and pig teams in combat and consider them ideal mobile artillery pieces those she now commands were chosen specifically for the use as blitzers and are well behaved by dire troll standards as the warlock bloodsong feels a natural affinity with all trolls some members of her battle group have been with her for many years including her favorite axer gortu she is also fond of her peer trolls or pyre trolls, sorry, which are originally introduced by the creels that join Madrak from the Bloodstone Marches and usually bring alongside at least one. Her warband is invariably accompanied by the scent of pitch as they make camp, sometimes to dismay of other trollkin. And the leadership, of course, is Grizzle Bloodsong herself, Kithar Harshopper, a bunch of other senior people. Then her Warriors Support and Trolls, she has 2 Dire Troll Blizzards, 3 Troll Axers, 3 Troll Impalers, 3 Pyre Trolls, 200 Creole Warriors, including 30 Caber Throwers, 100 Scatter Gunners, 18 Scouts, 20 Champions, 30 Sluggers, 100 Pigs, Assorted Weaponry, 5 Thumper Cannon Crews, 8 Skinners, 9 Rune Shapers, 6 Fell Collars, and 4 creel Stones and Associated Bearers and Scribes that go with those groups. Yes, it is a pretty hefty group of trolls. But always fun to get them together. I've always wanted to see somebody actually put together like an actual army following one of these uh following one of these builds because I feel like that would just be neat to see, like, you know, having 200, 200 you know, creole warrior models and all these guys, like it would take up an entire table, it'd probably be way more point cost than you would ever be able to play a battle in, but it would just be neat to see like an entire army like that but i don't think we're ever going to see it in our time because that is a lot of models to paint let's continue reading sorcerers have long been respected by the trolkins for their devastating potential on the battlefield a number of the most potent warlocks in recent times have been natural born sorcerers and their victories accomplishments and other acts of heroism cannot easily be counted their natural connection with arcane energies of kane enable them to lay waste to their enemies with waves of power. Many trollkin sorcerers become room bearers, able to turn the earth itself against their foes and transform the deeds of their people into powerful weapons. The history and triumph of the trollkin are inscribed in the stone, and with the proper reverence, they can be used as weapons against enemies and blessings to be bestowed upon allies. The creel Stones that are brought to war, as well as the scribes who add to their legacy of valor by recording further heroic acts, are the vital part of the Trolkan military pride. These monuments are no mere decorations. They combine with Dunia's beliefs and the strength and prayer to offer potent and tangible blessings to embattled warriors. Full Blood Trolls and Supply It is the presence of full-blooded trolls that give the enemies of the united creels the most pause many creels have come to think of these trolls as integral members of their communities and now craft special weapons armor and clothing for their use trolls enjoy more ready ready access to food through the arrangements and in return they offer their strength and battle prowess this is to say nothing of a massive dire troll have had begun the accompanying warbands for the first time in a thousand years. Where areas other Trolls can actually develop friendships with the Trollkin, Dire Trolls are simply too savage for such niceties. Even those Creels most accustomed to the creatures consider them dangerous and untamed in the best of circumstances. Dire Trolls are capable in almost unthinking ferocity, and are never more than a minor irritation away from a frenzy, so their trollkin allies must remain vigilant in their presence. The presence of pigs seems to calm these beasts, but they remain unpredictable and hazardous in the extreme. The major concern of these communities is feeding the trolls who live alongside them. The trolls are undeniably powerful assets in battle, but they must consume a great deal of food on a regular basis, a requirement that places a severe strain on supply. When food supplies run low, the savage trolls grow aggressive and quite literally take their feeding into their own hands. The hungry trolls serve the United Creels in battle, but they are dangerous in camp. Sometimes these creatures will wander off in search of food, but at other times they will stuff anything (laughs) within reach into their moths. Bundles of supplies, map tubes, protesting pigs, whelps, and so on. Trolls have a long-dwelled alongside Trollkin and less prone to losing control compared to more rustic breeds, but any troll can snap if starving. In Dire Trolls, these challenges are amplified by an order of magnitude. They simply require significantly larger amounts of food and become significantly more dangerous if allowed to become hungry. The presence of a Skinner or other expert hunter is crucial to the success of any warband that ventures far from the Creels. These scouts and hunters keep their kin fed and their trolls at least somewhat sated. The reality is that even the best supplied Creels are likely to be incapable of feeding their trolls to full satisfaction. Some shamans consider the voracious hunger of the trolls the cost for the regenerative blessing bestowed upon them by Dunia any troll encountered on battle is motivated as much by a desire to fill his stomach as one to fight for his smaller cousins with hundreds of warbands spread across numerous creels and only limited central leadership creating and maintaining supply lines is an ongoing challenge for the united creels it is for this reason that they heavily invested in the defense of the Narls, as it contains numerous established creel relatively close to one another warbands that move from the established Creels must hope that any trollkin communities they encounter will be welcoming and generous. Otherwise, they will be forced to rely on troll-pulled supply carts or whatever game they are able to hunt. Despite the many, cha- many challenges they face, Trolkan war warbands are growing into a cohesive and powerful army. The pressure of their enemies serves them well, for these people excel at nothing if not enduring, or endurance and adaptability. Each Trollkin knows every battle is crucial to the survival of his people, and every victory a step towards the future they envision. And let's check out the newer lore and see if anything changes. Alrighty, well, it looks like we got some changes, or at least more additive stuff as well in the Councils and Alliance, uh, mostly adding why the Druids were trying to take out Doomshaper and all that stuff, and then more name drops of particular Trollkin of interest so we're just going to read through this and then we will be moving on to uh, more expansions on the rise of the United Creels uh, some of the hierarchy of the United Creels and then we will get into the Northkin which are a relatively newer Northkin faction and then after that we will actually be breaking down um, all of the Trollkin as well with a little bit more specific uh, types of Trollkins that are in the trochan army so let's begin the reading on the newer lore or more expensive lore for explanation councils and alliances while ad hoc alliances between creels have occurred from time to time, until recently, such arrangements have typically been temporary. The first step to the greater unifications come from regional councils of elders established in regions like the Thornwood, the Narls, and Scarfell Forest intended to facilitate cooperation between Creoles in the regions as well as to help arbitrate feuds and disputes. Those councils have limited direct authority but serve as a forum for greater contact between the kin and as a way to create regional identities. The most ordered and cohesive of these regional groups is the Council of Stone in the Gnarl's, which meets twice a year during spring and autumn. It is hosted by one of the forest's most influential creels. Matters of the Council of Stone are not settled by vote but by a boistering debate of the elders seeking support in attempting to achieve consensus each creel in this region is allowed to send several representatives but most often only single elders will go noteworthy fell callers are often invited to speak for their creels as their vocal powers and auditory skills are an asset to this contentious environment in times of crisis the gathering is a place to trade information assess fighting strength and discuss available resources the creels that is starving might be offered help from one who has unexpected bounty one of the largest matters put before the council of stone in the recent years was the travails faced by the thornwood creels a group that eventually evolved into the united creels while the coalition our coalition was primarily made up by displaced Thornwood Creels. A sizable number of stroken ended up joining this alliance, and many others were sympathetic to it. The degree at which the Gnarl Creels should lend their support to the Creels or to the United Creels has been a topic of reoccurring and spirited debate. In the early days after the Thornwood Creels were forced to leave their ancestral lands. There were attempts by Blackclads of the Circle Oberos to recruit the Gnarl Creels to fight their battles and to set them against Madrak Ironhide, who was seen as a threat to the Druids. The influential shaman and elder Horak, Horlock Doomshaper put a stop to this practice, arguing persuasively against kin fighting kin for the Blackclads. Doomshaper intervened personally to prevent this fighting and became an important advocate for the united Creels representing the Gnarls in this new alliance. Doomshaper is still one of the greatest leaders of the Gnarls and a powerful voice in the Council of Stone, supported by a number of warlike Creels, including most significantly Cortol, Lawnful, and Uther. Uth- yeah, Uther, I said that right. Most Creels in the Gnarls speaking in opposition to Doomshaper include... Beltagas, Drummer, Norin, Ogfist, Brandar, and Ironblad. The example of the Council of Stone gave rise to other similar councils wherever the kin exists in large numbers. Each regional council has served as a nucleus of greater cohesiveness and organization. They also form the backbone of civili- civilian leadership for the two largest alliances of Creels, the United Creels and the Northkin. And then we have a more updated list of how the Creels are organized. Uh, We have major Creel alliances with the Northkin Creels, uh, elders, Scarfell councils, all that mess. Then we have one for the United Creels, and then we have Warlock Warbands, and then traditional warband hierarchy, Creel elders, war chiefs, heroes, champions, you name it. I will have a picture of this up on the channel so you guys can look at it and you can pause it if you really want to get real specific on it. I'm not going to go through each individual part of this because that is a lot of reading. But let's continue reading. The Rise of the United Creels. Of the factors that led to recent efforts to unite the Creels, none have been more vital than the rise of Madrak Ironhide, who has become the leading war chieftain in the Thornwood Creels. It was under Ironhide's leadership that thousands of trokans from different regions began to consider themselves a united people. This evolved as a direct consequence of the Thornwood Creels being threatened by the spread of human warfare before being driven from their transitional home. These events brought the Thornwood Creels together as never before, but the act that established a larger alliances beyond their own number was an oath of fellowship sworn between Madrak Ironhide and Horlock Doomshaper of the Gnarls. The bond between Doomshaper and Ironhide was forged after Madrak was betrayed by the druids of the Circle Oberos, who sought to assassinate and replace him. Doomshaper thwarted that plot, and the creels of the Thornwood and the Gnarls have grown increasingly interconnected. Doomshaper not only helped to unite the Trolkin of the Thornwood and the Gnarls, but also brought the greatest wild trolls to the aid of the fighting creels, including the Dire Trolls and the Troll Kings. Soon after, these two war chieftains became allies. The elders of each of the regions began to meet and discuss sharing resources and decisions. Madrak's efforts to gain additional support from other Creels resulted in the influx from other regions such as Scarsfell, Forest, Wormwall Mountains, the Fen Marshes, and Scarforth Lake. The allied Creels relocated several times during their search for a new home, attempting to settle the Glimmerwood. Crail Valley, inside Signar, Scarforth Lake, and deeper in the Bloodstone Marches. In each location, they endured bloodshed and loss. Yet these struggles did yield some positive gains. Before Ironhide had a falling out with King Leto of Signar, the Signaran army provided the United Creels with a sizable stash of modern weapons, including firearms, cannons, and ammunition. The Creels received the supply when they moved to the Glimmerwood, where the Trokan served as a buffer between Signar and several of its enemies. The accord between Signar and Trolkans' leaders collapsed after Leto failed to uphold his promises, and the Ironhide subsequently seized land inside Signar interior. By the end of the clash, the Creoles were well-armed, but still surrounded by foes. The united Creoles have been confronted by a variety of enemies, including the Scorn Empire, the Signaran Army, Circle Obros, and more recently, a simultaneous attack by Faro and Gaterman from the Thornfall Alliance and the Blindwater Congregation. This last clash in 609 AR called the Battle of Bloodstone resulted in Madrak Ironhide decided to set out to new lands to establish a better home for his people. This exodus involved thousands of trochan undertaking a grueling cross of the Western Bloodstone marches. They skirted the eastern borders of the Protectorate of Meneth crossed through the foothills of the Lion's Teeth Mountains, and eventually reached a region known as the Alchir, a vast and largely unexplored, unexplored subcontinent. There, the Trolkhan found fertile land in which to put down roots, with rivers and forests that support ample game as well as sufficient resources. They built Toluk Forest, now named after Madrak's original creole. This new bastion now serves as a mustering point for the armed forces of the United Creels and several sizable walled villages have been established nearby. While Doomshaper remained behind in the west, loath to leave the Narls, a bond remains between the Trolkin of these two regions as well as between Doomshaper and Ironhide. News, supplies and fighting forces are periodically exchanged between the Narls and the Altshir Creels. The kin of the Narls are committed to helping Ironhide's people survive against the many challenges expected to come. Hierarchy of the United Creels: The leadership of the United Creels is a blend of modern military hierarchy and the traditional forms of organizations among Creoles. The Council of the United Creels is a coalition of chieftains, military leaders, and Creole elders that manage Trolkan communities. This council meets once a month at the Tolok Forest and can be called together in times of need. It is responsible for overseeing the construction of housing and defenses, as well as ensuring sufficient food production and collection of the Alchir Creels. Meeting these basic needs has been difficult. The relocation of the Alchir created new challenges for these elders to, that they would have to address. The majority of the sitting on the council were once elders of the Thornwood Creels. Though these elders are influential chiefs, are much more important to the words carry greater weight among the leadership of the united creoles than elsewhere due to the constant warfare these creoles have endured the vast armed might of the united creoles is organized into both traditional war bands and more modern military detachments the later representing efforts by several prominent leaders to modernize its fighting forces war bands and detachments each have their own internal hierarchy though both might fight together under a single war chief Chief Madrak Ironhide is a single most influential leader of the United Creels, though he has preferred his role to be more advisory than dictatorial. He provides the insight and advice to the Council of Elders, and also to the Chiefs, Captains, and Warlocks of the Alliance. He fully supports Grizzle Bloodsong as Marshal of the Creels, allowing his generals oversight of the military. When Chief Ironhide enters battle personally, he prefers to do so as the fore of a small war band or detachment of hand-picked veterans rather than the entire might of the United Creels behind him. He is comfortable leading both modern and traditional warriors. As Marshal of the Creels, Grizzle Bloodsong is responsible for modernizing and organizing the armed forces of the United Creels and strengthening, strengthening discipline. Marshal Bloodsong works closely with Captain Gunborn, or Gunjorn? Gunjorn? It's, it's spelled G-U-N-N-B-J-O-R-N. So I'm going to call it Gunjorn. Yeah, that's how we're going to say. It. In providing ongoing training for the fighting kin as they are integrated into the more formal military hierarchy and armed with modern weapons like firearms and cannons, Grizzle personally leads the largest army of the Creoles. The modernized forces of the United Creoles are organized into detachments instead of warbands and follow a more stringent chain of command, adopting ranks from the professional armies of the Iron Kingdoms. In descending orders, these ranks are Captain, Lieutenant, Sergeant, Corporal, and Private. Captains lead companies of several hundred warriors, often drawn from different fighting disciplines. Lieutenants lead more cohesive platoons of 40 to 60 warriors. Sergeants lead squads of up to 10 warriors of the same discipline, and corporals lead small fire teams of three or four. When thousands of trollkins are gathered under a single war chief, the army may include multiple companies alongside one or more traditional war bands. In these situations, captains have similar status and standing as a chief leading a war band of similar size, and both are expected to heed the ranking war chief warlock. Discipline and order is better among trollkins in the modern military detachments. Not every war band is willing to undergo the training necessary to make this transition. However, and so warbands will continue to make up a substantial portion of the United Creels. The United Creels support several specialized detachments, such as veteran scouts led by Grim Angus. Detachments also include trolls and support personnel, including those who are ensuring that supply lines remain open. Support may include mystical elements from the form of shaman, sorcerers, and Creel stone bearers, and stone scribes, Though such individuals are more commonly found in traditional warbands, mystical Trollkin are often loaned to detachments and do not use military ranks. The United Creels can field an armed an army of thousands at a moment's notice, with additional reserves drawn from any able-bodied villager. They have access to accurate firearms, including rapid-fire weapons like sluggers and mobile cannons, as well as a host of trolls, including the enormous dire troll and troll kings. While the United Creels do not boast a raw number to match some of the vast human armies, they make up for it in courage, solidarity and resilience. The military strength at their disposal is the greatest assembled in one place by the Trokan people. So now we move on to the Northkin. I'm going to assume Northkin is probably ice trolls, which would make sense. For a time, Madrak Ironhide and a number of his elders endeavored to recruit their northern counterparts into their alliance. This effort was partially successful, and some kin from these regions have joined them. However, most of the kin of the northern Immorin prefer to remain a people apart, protective of their independence. The example of the United Creoles was not lost on these kin, but instead of joining, they formed their own alliances. One led by the northern kin and focused on their interests. These are the north kin. While they have not suffered the same degree as the Thornwood Creels, the North can have faced escalating hostilities with their neighbors. The Scarfell Forest has long been one of the greatest homes of the Trolkin, but they share the region with and its scarce resources. Perils include both tribal and civilized humans of Kodor, Nis tribesmen, blighted Nis with dragonspawn, Rulik border patrols, and Bogren tribes. The struggles of to endure and prosper has been even more difficult than less numerous kin of the Niskatha Mountains, Rimshaws and Mulgur Forest, and other regions. Regional councils of elders were established in several of these places to provide forums for their creels, but in 608 AR, elders of these councils came together to formalize a greater alliance. Though separated in some cases... By considerable distances, the various Northkin have much in common. Over the centuries, certain traditions, stories, food, and drink have been shared between the northern humans and trollkin Northern Creels enjoy both Uusik, Uusik, Uuskei—I, I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce that drink, and dangerously pure Vyatha, or Vyaska, also no idea, as well as northern ales and meads and both drinking and feasting are important aspects of the culture as well as politics. Major decisions affecting all of the North can might happen amid shouting matches between drunken elders and dueling chieftains after the gathering and feast. Warriors of the North identify strongly with great bears and some drink themselves into oblivion during the harshest winter months as a means to achieving equivalent hibernation. Major feuds Have been fought over excess to supply of alcohol or lands capable of supporting crops necessary for brewing and distilling in spring and summer conflict frequently break out between neighboring northern creole tribes on old rivalries or new transgressions these feuds keep the trolkins from becoming soft and give them the opportunity to hone their battle prowess the council elders intervene only when these conflicts threaten to escalate or imperil general defense northquin elders Arbitrate disputes fairly, though they prefer harsh penalties. If a Creole refuses to follow the council's decision, they might find themselves being raided by warbands from more cooperative Creoles. So the Northkin are very into their ales and alcohol. Who knew? Just like the Kadoran Northerners. Weird. Let's continue reading. Hierarchy of the Northkin. The collection of the councils leading the Northkin is an extension of the older systems originating from the Scarfell Forest, where four separate councils rule different parts of this region. Nevis Council, Erkees Council, Scar's Heart Council, and Bitterroot Council. The Rimshaws and the Niskatha Councils eventually joined with them, together with dozens of representatives from other Creoles across the northern regions, making their leadership of this alliance one of the most democratic systems of governance on Imoran, which would make sense since most of the major Iron Kingdoms are led by kings and empresses. So, there is that. Great gatherings happen twice a year, and at other times, fell callers travel between councils to spread news. The strongest creels include the Bone, Boneblood, Bragmaw, Blumis, Cragfist, Galtor, Janel, Lagmore, Magov, Pelnas, Rumtar, and Trustone creels, and their elders dominate the Northkin. Because of the size of the councils and the lack of centralized leadership, the Northkin do not make decisions quickly and sometimes are slow to act. Yet once committed, they will see matters to its brutal and bitter end. Northkin elders have a strong grip on their people, and the individual chieftains have less clout compared to the United Creels. Elders in the Northkin believe strongly in the autonomy of individual Creels. In the largest northern Creels, there is often a single eldest matriarch, known as the Ket. Ket These tend to be more influential than any other elders. Northkin Creels focus on smaller local affairs over larger regional ones, but have made promises of mutual support in the event of significant threat. The armed might of the Northkin is composed of a traditional warbands. Each chief sees to his people, which makes coordinated planning difficult. The Northkin army often looks and cooperates as a Trollkin horde. Though Northken preferred to see their own concerns first, some have broader perspective. Legendary warrior Borka Kegslayer is a warlock whose warband has traveled far to seek battles against enemies of the kin. He and his kin retain ties with the United Creels, even as they obey their Creels' Ketmater, Jinan, one of Norken's most imposing elders. Alrighty, and now we get to the uh, Trollblood fighting forces. This is a little bit more of a breakdown of all the fighting forces of the Trollkins. So here we go. Trollblood fighting forces. There are numerous fighting traditions among the warriors of the Creels, some of them ancient and others more recent origin. Some of the traditions arose of the kin of a specific region, Though in some cases have spread and been adopted elsewhere, the fighting forces of the Creels also draw strength and versatility from mythical tradition and support elements, individuals who do not see themselves as warriors, but who wage war in their own way, as well as helping to ensure the fighting forces are effective and ready for battle. Traditional fighting forces, the largest number of ready warriors among the Creoles are those who adhere to old traditions, passed down from parents to offspring and utilize tried and tested weapons. These are the Creel warriors. The most typical and numerous of the Trokan combatants are the Creole warriors. Trokanes are taught from a young age to fight with the weapons available to their Creels and are expected to share in the responsibility of fighting in the defense of their village. An entire Creole population can be armed and battle-ready at a short notice. Such fighting are, such fighters are outfitted by the kits of the heaviest armor they can forge and acquire through barter, trade, or raids. While there is a limited formal training among Creole Warriors, most learn the fundamentals of fighting in their daily lives. They spar recreationally, or during holiday celebrations, where good-natured brawls are a form of entertainment, with veterans thrashing the less experienced and teaching them lessons. Out of the hostile wilds, most warriors face regular threats that provide them with chances to test their mettle and put their lives on the line. It does not take long for a Creole Warrior to become a veteran comfortable with his brothers and sisters in arms and sharing lifelong bonds of fidelity. The strongest of these warriors prove their might by lifting and hurling great stone cabers. This astounding feat of strength is not only impressive to witness, but can also serve as a powerful weapon in battle. When mustered in numbers, the Crow warriors are sometimes joined by traditional standard bearers and musicians who play tunes to inspire warriors in battle and to lift their spirits on long marches we have the champions and wardens champions and wardens represent not so much specific fighting traditions as echelons of experience that the creel warriors aspire to boasting considerable status among their villages these seasoned fighters might serve as bodyguards or lieutenant's to chiefs when creels is caught up in the extended period of carnage the veterans emerge to inspire their peers As such times, it is common for them to band together and fight alongside the chiefs as a retinue. Most recent fights have seen multiple groups of champions or wardens joining together to make up a vanguard of large armies. Wardens and champions are alike in some respects and all are battle-tested veterans but they serve different roles on the battlefield. Champions are noted for their aggressiveness and willingness to engage first, expertly wielding a weapon in each hand. Warders, on the other hand, prefer to fight with great shields in one hand and heavy weapons in the other, adopting a defensive style and serving as the bulwark for their chief or kin. Both, however, form tight-knit groups on the exemplary warriors who support one another in battle. Then we move on to the Fell Collars, with a powerful booming voice that can shatter stone and bones. Fell Collars are descendants from the legendary hero Brag, while a few of the number of these warriors and storytellers occupy a special niche, both in Trolkan society and among fighting creels. Fell Collars take pride in their martial prowess as well as their ability to inspire and invigorate their peers. Fell Collars often travel between the various settled creels bringing news and requests of aid. They rarely stay with a single warband for long, preferring to wander as they please. These heroes are admired and respected, but seldom lead their own bands, though there are exceptions, such as the Warlock Gissel of Bloodsong. Now we move on to the Finblades. The Finblades represent a distinctive fighting tradition from the fin Marshes in southwestern Signar. Troken warriors are adopted hooked swords and specialized combat tactics, to contend with human cavalry soldiers invading their lands. The inheritors of this tradition are accustomed to drilling alongside one another and practicing their difficult weapons. While blades originate from the fin marshes, their fighting style has been adopted elsewhere, and a sizable contingency has joined the united creels. Then we have the long riders. The formidable cavalry of the fighting creels descended from long rider tradition, with bison riding trolken, who enter battle to annihilate any foe that do not make way. The ancient days, in the ancient days, Trolkans discovered the horses preferred by humans were scared of Trolkin and their smell, which they associated with the trolls who preyed on them. The bison roaming the southern Kodor were less wary, and a number of creels domesticated these creatures and turned them into a fighting steed. Long riders have much-needed mobility, serving as a counter to the enemy riders or to flank the crushing, flank and crush enemies. Long riders have moved beyond their ancestral dominion and traveled to other regions, including some that have journeyed to the Al-Kachiv or the Alchiv, Alchir, goodness, along with their role as mounted warriors. Long riders see themselves as stewards of the bison herd, serving them or saving them from extinction. Then we have the Highwaymen. Some warriors of the Creels have traditionally earned less respect than others. For Trolk'n highwaymen, raiding and stealing goods and food from neighboring communities has been a long-standing practice. Even as Creels banded together, such raids persisted. More often directed at human merchants, traffic as a source of vital resources. Over time, these Trolk'ns developed a preference for fighting with pistols originally taken as spoils but becoming essential tools for the trade. Hivements take pride in their hard-won skill with these weapons and earned in battle rather than through drills. Then we move on to the modern fighting forces of the trokan In the modernized fighting forces of the United Creels, several of the fighting traditions have been created that embrace the new techniques and weapons without abandoning without abandoning Trolkin culture. Pygmy Troll Warriors Pygmy Trolls or Pigs have long existed at the periphery of Trokan society. These smaller Trokan cousins were once thought too capricious to be useful warriors, but recent pressures have prompted the Trokan to reevaluate the opinion. It has become clear that pigs are just as resolute than their as their larger kin and can be deadly fighters if given suitable weaponry and training. Adaptable and eager pigs have responded well to the efforts to create discipline through drilling, learning very quickly how to work together as coordinated fire teams. They have taken readily to firearms of all sorts and are fearless and willing to undertake the risky missions. Some pygmy trolls serve as a specialized role, such as excavating channels to bypass obstacles or to create ambush points where they can emerge unexpectedly behind enemy lines. Additionally, since dire trolls are naturally inclined to tolerate pigs, a number of the bravest of these warriors have been paired with these massive brutes to create powerful, effective weapon platforms. platforms. Pygmy trolls ride atop dire trolls and have been equipped with military-grade ordinances, acting as gunners and maintaining weaponry as needed. Then we move on to scattergunners. Scattergunners were among the first of the Trollkin warrior disciplines to wield the firearms donated to the thornwood creels by signar before relations with the nation soured of the more modern warriors the scattergunners have achieved a distinguished and respected record of service given that some of the veterans have been fighting together for over six years and have faced some of the worst hardships seen by their people the firearms these kins wield are powerful, short range weapons and use blasting powder to create deadly sprays of scrapple, scrap metal capable of tearing through enemy formations. Though these weapons were initially provided by Signar, smiths of the Ironhide Creels have mastered their fabrication. Let me move on to the Sluggers wielding impressive repeating chain guns that can produce a steady hail of firepower. Sluggers bring heavy fire support to their warbands and are capable of chewing through a large number of enemy soldiers before they reach the trokan lines. Being a slugger requires unusual discipline as an exceptional strength and endurance. Many sluggers are former members of the Signaran army who have since committed themselves to the United Creels or, or were trained by sergeants with that experience. Then we have the heavy weapons. As much of the boon of, as firearms have been to the United Creels, the inclusion of heavy ordinances has had an even greater impact. Battles against organized human armies proved to, be, proved to the fighting Creels the deadly effectiveness of artillery when leveraged against infantry forces. As with other modern weapons, Signar proved, provided some of the initial stocks of thumper cannons, short-range deck guns on naval ships with the access of the iron and the forge and smiths are now quite capable of making such weapons including mortar man- mortars manned by a pygmy trolls crew and the devastating Pummeler cannon thumpers deliver pushing direct fire while mortars lob shells over intervening obstacles and plummeter pummlers goodness that's a tongue twister of a sentence pummlers fire shredding chain shots The United Creels has also produced a bison-pulled war wagon, each outfitted with a cannon on a rotating turret. Then we have the support elements. These guys are not uh, traditional fighting forces. These guys are not modern fighting forces. These guys are support elements only. Not all of those that fight for the Creels are warriors. Shamans are increasingly taking up arms in defense of their people. They command tremendous dunia spiritual power, capable of invigorating the hard-pressed warbands. Sorcerers are mystic long respected by the Trollkins for their devastating potential on the battlefield, drawing on earth or ice magic to lay waste to their enemies or to protect their kin. The history and triumph of the Trollkin are inscribed stones, are inscribed in stone. The Creel, the Creel stones that are brought to war, as well as the scribes who add to their legacy of valor by recording recent heroic actions, are the vital part of the Trollkin pride. These monuments combine Dunia's beliefs and the strength of prayer to offer the potents and tangible blessings to embattled warriors. The great stories of the Creels are maintained by respected chroniclers, and smaller stones are sometimes preserved by revered room bearers who have made their study a life's work. Hearing chants from these tales intoned aloud in combat can stir the kin to acts of valor. Alrighty. Well, that is the entirety of the old and new lore with the expansions of the new lore with the North Ken and all that funness. And uh, if you guys are still around uh, listening, thank you guys so much. Uh, you guys really are the lifeblood of this channel and you keep this steam train a rolling. Uh, please like, subscribe, comment. Let me know what you thought. Let me know if there's any cool trolken armies that you've fought up against or that you fought with. And uh, thank you, Privateer Press, again for letting us read your fantastic lore. And as always, class dismissed.